0: but the psychology of the founder and with each episode i'm going to help you take your life and business to levels you never thought possible if you're ready to play the game of life and business in god mode then this is the podcast for you why don't we get started so welcome officially to taking refuge in spirituality during challenging times to open I want to share a little practice from the Sufi mystical tradition. Now the Sufis say there are three ways to relate to the divine. And when I say the divine in this case, it means whatever your belief system is, it could be the universe, it could be consciousness, it could be God, it could be whatever word you use for God, it could be your higher self, anything that you regard as some sort of universal entity. So the first way is through prayer. The second way is one step ahead, which is through meditation or self abidance or self-inquiry. And the third way, which is a step up from that, is what they call a sohbet. What they mean by sohbet is difficult to describe, but I'll attempt to anyway. It simply points to a conversation of a very different nature. It's a conversation between friends of spirit, of heart, adjoining through deep listening, so that a shared transmission of heart and soul may occur. Everything that's created in the cosmos, in the universe, is a ceaseless conversation. It's an endless dialogue, a kind of symbiosis. And through beloveds, between beloveds with the attuned ears of the inner heart and the one in conversation with themselves listens and moves and speaks and dances with insight, with wisdom. And this is a, a mechanism that comes through from surrender, from trust, and a deeper recognition of the love that is already present in us, that's always present. And when we just allow ourselves to drown in that feeling, then something beautiful becomes apparent and alive. So that's what John and I are going to try to do. And we invite you to just listen, to just drown in the resonance of what emerges. John, would you like to introduce yourself?
1: (laughs) I feel like people are going to, uh, if they don't know us, Ani, they're going to get to know us um, through our exploration, Uh, because I think the deepest part of you and the deepest part of me, happens and, and is, and is felt and seen and heard when, when we jam like this, Mm -hmm. Uh, and I always love spending time with you and just feeling, uh, what comes out of it. So I, I agree with you. I think we wanted to share our conversation with others and bring our community in to, uh, this exploration of, you know, how can we use this time to go deeper uh, how can we emerge from this feeling more whole and more at peace uh, and understanding our purpose with greater clarity? Um, so I don't have anything to say about myself. I, I think let's uh, let's get into the meat of this.
0: Why don't we start by talking about the self rather than yourself or myself? Because there's a great illusion and misunderstanding that really is the cause of a lot of suffering. How do you see the self and what role is that playing from your perspective in all this?
1: So, uh, you know, you and I both have a Sufi background um, and, you know, have also studied many other world spiritual traditions. Um, And for me, a strong influence is not only Sufism, but also native and indigenous traditions around the world. Um, that really understand the created world in terms of energy, and understand the human being in terms of energy. But one concept that's valuable for me from the Sufi perspective is that the self is a part of us that that needs to stay online. Uh, spirituality is not about um, cutting the self out, or you know, removing the, the self because. We still have to eat and schedule things and take care of our kids and use the bathroom. And so, you know, the the self is the part of us that is engaging with the world. The danger is that we locate our identity in the self and that we start to experience anxiety and pain and fear because the world is not cooperating with the self. And many people are feeling that now. We're losing our money. We're losing our jobs. We're losing a sense of security. We fear that we won't see family members or uh, that members of our community will become sick. And in order to find peace in times like this, we have to dig deeper. Because if our identity is rooted in the self, then what we experience is the stress and the fear and the anxiety of the world not cooperating with our agenda.
0: Yeah, and this agenda is quite interesting because it appears as reality. It appears as fact. It appears as irrefutable evidence of us being wronged, um, of us being hurt. And the interesting interesting thing about this is that almost all of it is self-created it's created out of a a construct which is designed to protect us to protect this vessel this interface to the universe now part of your background is in conventional therapy and counseling and i find it very interesting how you know that meets the indigenous the mystical the shamanistic perspective and it's really aligned actually everything points to the same truth and when we come into this world till the age of you know 18 to 24 months we're completely embodied as babies we don't have any any self really there's no difference between baby and mommy and daddy it's just everything it's just what is it's awareness it's pure awareness and then we begin to individuate and we begin to form this understanding of who i am and from then on this understanding is cobbled together from how we're treated how we're raised in our childhood what we are exposed to the information we consume and we're forming this this narrative structure of how we define ourselves, this structure that decides how we interact with the world and how we react to the world. And this is the great illusion because we become really identified with this picture of ourself. But in reality, we're actually not that limited. We're not this tiny box. We're limitless, infinite beings. And all this is just a giant case of mistaken identity.
1: (laughs) People experience it when they take psychedelics or they experience it in very deep, extended meditation. But most people in the modern industrial world don't have enough stillness to feel this part of themselves. And what happens is we, as you said, get accustomed to this identity that is not the deepest part of us. And we get anxious and neurotic because we're living from a part that is a little too superficial uh, relative to who we really are. So part of the opportunity of this time, despite the suffering, is to connect with who we really are. Uh, to use this time because otherwise if it weren't for moments like this we would just go on Uh, we would go on doing what we do so sometimes a shock to the system creates an opportunity and if we touch who we really are there's tremendous power in that we can create like we've never created before we can feel and give and receive love deeper than we ever have before we can take relationships that we're feeling flat and stale and give them new life we can connect with our children we can bring our work into the world in a more inspired way it takes digging deep otherwise it's just activity from the self but that does not feel very deep or very rich to people around us the the part of us that can have the most impact is the part of us that is actually alive and that part is eternal And that part is uh, in touch with the original creation of our being. Um, and And I love that description you gave of being a baby, because I think of the self as being very relational rather than individual. And so in the sense that we are the collective, we also can have an inspired sense of what we're bringing to that collective. And that's the opportunity people have if they, can practice a little bit more deeply or meditate a little bit longer or just gaze into someone's eyes a little bit longer, You know, take the time to slow down and feel the anxiety that's in that awkwardness and continue to practice until you hit that deeper gear within yourself.
0: You know, I often say that all of our suffering is self-created. All the, and all of the suffering is optional. The pain might not be. The pain happen can happen to us. But when we get attached to the story that we create around the pain, and that's really this conception of who we are, then we choose to recreate that suffering. And so what's happening in the world right now may be happening without our permission without us electing to participate but the suffering we expect we experience that follows is something we're creating and the suffering is a creation it's the byproduct of the resistance it's coming out of the fact that we're resisting what is and one of the most profound Definitions for love that one of my teachers told me was an uncompromising yes to whatever is arising. And I think just being with that for a second, an uncompromising yes to whatever is arising. So, just to get a taste for who you really are, I invite you as you're listening, as you're watching, to close your eyes. To take a deep breath in and slowly exhale and just bring your awareness to the interior of your body to the interior of your mind and just ask yourself if you can uncompromisingly say yes To whatever is present and alive in you. Can you just allow yourself to be with, without needing to change, any emotion, any thought, any feeling, any sensation? Can you choose to offer no resistance. Can you make who you are and how you are and how you feel right now completely okay? And you may just silently say these words to yourself, this is okay. This is okay. And just notice if something changes inside. Notice, notice if there's a little bit of expansion. There's a little more space that opens up. And you may find that there's a little bit of sinking moving down and out and this may feel quite delicious for you as you just be the vessel be the container for whatever thoughts feelings or sensations arise and you let these thoughts feelings and sensations arise and disappear as they like without attaching to anything or resisting anything Notice if you can fall into the stillness, fall into the spaciousness. Notice if you can fall in love with yourself right now, in offering an uncompromising yes to whatever is arising. And the invitation for you is to listen to the rest of this conversation in this state, in the state of pure receptivity, in the state of pure presence. John, how would you describe the true self, the infinite self, the part of us that's eternal, that's unchanging, that's always okay, the part of us that is the truth of who we are, the essence, the essential self? And how can we take refuge in that essential truth of who we are, that truth that's unaffected by what's going on in the world that's unaffected by the anxiety the stress the overwhelm the fear the doubt because that self is global
1: so my experience is is that walking into it gives us a tour of our being And it's like layers of our being that we walk through to reach the eternal self. And as you know, Ani, the Sufis use love as a metaphor for reality. Rumi was once asked, what is love? And he said, it's what remains when everything else goes. Mm. and so there's this understanding that if we can find the essential self there's a contact we can have with the way things are the way that you were guiding us in and describing what it's like to say yes and accept and as i was experiencing your meditation i i felt my heart underneath myself i felt if i if i give up all this self management and the resistance to what's happening what i notice is my heart and a smile comes on my face and i i feel happy and that to me is is a sign of the second station of moving from self to eternal self is that we can feel the happiness and the joy and the selflessness and the love of our hearts and that takes us a little bit out of our minds and out of our preferences and out of our neuroticism and it allows us to share compassion for ourselves and a smile with others and love with others and It's not the end of the road in terms of contacting the eternal self. It's a way station. But this settling into the heart is an important marker that we're leaving the self behind. And that we are becoming more ripe for the picking. We we are softening our fruit. uh, So that at some point the divine can keep moving us forward into the beauty of that selfless love. And connection and happiness without the control and the anxiety of the self.
0: What really strikes me about what you said was that this is a process of uncovering, this is a process of revealing. This isn't something that we're missing, that we have to go outside of ourselves to get. There isn't a piece of knowledge or wisdom that someone else has. We have everything we need. There's a story of um, the Buddha. And there was this solid gold Buddha statue, which in the fear of an impending invasion, they covered with ceramic and rock and stone and mud and just really tarnished it. And for hundreds of years, through many kingdoms, the statue remained untouched, unnoticed and just forgotten. Until hundreds of years later, some of the coverings started to peel away and people were able to glimpse the gold underneath. And when they did they started chipping away at the covering on the outside to reveal the the essence on the inside and so this process of being whole of returning to our essential self to coming home is really a process of chipping away It's a process of revealing and uncovering the inherent perfection, the divinity that's always here, that's always been here, that always will be here, that's always available to us. And it's just a matter of where we choose to look. Do we look outside, hoping to find it? Or do we look inside?
1: One of the gateways, Ani, that I feel as you're helping us connect to that part of ourselves is if we manage to find the heart in the world of the self and we start to let go of this need for control, but we start to enjoy uh, things as they are. And that cosmic sense of humor uh, is something that we're in touch with. You know, when things are difficult, we can notice that they are and laugh at ourselves a little bit and find our hearts again and seek support and have compassion. Uh, but I, I think of that that realm of the selfless heart as a little bit of a gateway, because what we can discover within it is another layer of of this uncovering that you're describing um, which in some ways speaks not only to our experience of daily life but to our purpose what are we here to do exactly and are we taking this opportunity right now to actualize it because we can spend our day doing many things we can spend our life doing many things but if we trust that we're spiritual beings on some level how do we actualize that and in sufi teachings the, the heart is is a portal with many doorways and as you mentioned within you can find room after room after room after room after room this is the shamanic journey of you know the the inner traveling versus the outer traveling you know we can We can go to many lands on the earth, but the richest lands are the ones in the inner landscape. And from the room of the heart, we can sort of open the door to what is next in terms of these layers. And sometimes what you may feel if you're meditating in this way, those of you listening, is an essential purpose. This is a sense of yourself and what you're here to do or to be beyond daily activity. And so daily activity is more pleasant and easier and richer from the heart than it is from just the self. But our souls and our spirits have another order of purpose, not just to experience the love in daily life, but also to understand in a deep sense who we are and what we can be and what we can do. And for me, Ani, I'm curious to hear your words and how you experience this, because for me, if I'm able to touch that part of myself, everything suddenly makes sense in a way it didn't before. My heart, still feels happy, but it's not like I'm revolving around the experience of my heart. there's, There's something deeper that I can connect to that reminds me who I am at a deep level and why I'm here. And it organizes what's happening to me. It organizes the experience of daily life, not according to good and bad, easy, hard, but simply according to This is what I was designed to experience. And I have an opportunity to really find myself through the experience I'm given. And that sense of purpose lights me up and it gives me energy and passion.
0: Yeah, for me, that place just feels exquisite. It's like biting into a really ripe, delicious mango. But this mango being infinite, and every bite being the first bite. That's what tasting the fruit of purpose feels like to me. And in my life, so much has been ephemeral, so much has come and gone. I've spent my life across four continents, so many countries, so many languages so many people, so many incarnations, and the life that I've been living, my most recent life, (laughs) and I try to die every day, and we'll talk about that in a second, what it means to die every day. But it feels like this limitless source of power to be connected to my purpose. It's this internal nuclear reactor which can power me with inspiration, with sustenance of a very different kind. And it's almost like after tasting this, it's like eating unripe mango that's green and a little sour and bitter and leathery. There's almost no going back. And that's, that's the place that I'm speaking from right now. That's the place that I'm living from right now. And I can connect to that part of you that's speaking and living from that place. And that's why this conversation is a transmission. It's a transmission of what's possible, what can be touched within ourselves, what can be realized within ourselves. But for us to realize our inherent divinity for us to realize our higher selves, our consciousness, God, whatever you want to call it. It requires us to, as the Sufis say, die before we die. And Sufis have a very beautiful relationship with death and transformation because transformation comes from death. And what we're experiencing right now is a a kind of death or usual way of life our usual habits our usual indulgences and things we used to take for granted died they came to an end and we're in the throes of that transformation and some of us are resisting this death as we are prone to as human beings and some of us are Allowing ourselves to die and die and die. So I want to share a poem by Rabia. Ironic, but one of the most intimate acts of our body is death. So beautiful appeared my death, knowing who then I would kiss. I died a thousand times before I died die before you die said the prophet have wings that feared ever touched the sun i was born when all i once feared i could love wash yourself of yourself says rumi be melting snow it says in the kabbalah in a process known as The nullification of one's somethingness. In Christian tradition, the union of the soul with God in love is called bridal mysticism. And in Sufism, it's fana, where the soul attains complete unity with God. And in every case, there is a dying of the false self into the truth of the divine. The Christian mystics say authentic God experience always burns you, yet it doesn't destroy you, just as the burning bush revealed to Moses. But most of us aren't prepared for such a burning, nor we're we ever told to expect it. It only consoles our true self only after it's devastated our false self. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, John.
1: I was just feeling such passion for the the love affair with reality as you were describing you know how hard it is to go back once you taste the ripe mango you don't want to eat the unripe mango and uh, this love affair that we can all have with direct contact with reality this is a different way of living. you know ordinarily we resist, the things that we find annoying or challenging but if we flip our life to not just be one of finding pleasure and ease but finding depth and truth this is how a mystic moves through life then we we see the humor and the opportunity in those moments when we're challenged and like you said earlier Ani, they may still be difficult but there but there's a deeper part of us that recognizes that uh, the the eternal love affair is between ourselves and this cosmic truth. The world is going to come and go, and whoever we are as a self is also going to come and go. So if we can find the love in direct contact with reality, then we're in on the joke, and life becomes a different experience we are more centered in ourselves. We are more stable. We are more generous. We are more kind. Uh, We can be sources of love for people rather than sources of stress. And so I was just really enjoying uh, you painting the picture of this reality, Ani, because I I was feeling the love I have when I feel in contact with reality as it is And I don't seek anything else. Um, And I can die to my daily experience in order to really taste uh, the the ripe fruit of the truth. You know, in many traditions, this is described as uh, drinking the real water and eating the real bread. And, you know, once you know where the food and the water is, uh, it's hard to, to go uh, eat somewhere else or drink somewhere else uh, where the, the food is not as close to the source of, of your being. Uh, and so I think if, if people can allow themselves to taste that, you know, the first level of that is the experience of just contacting reality and the ecstasy of not needing anything else. And the next level is learning to live from that place, which is a whole other challenge. But one tool to learn that is, as you mentioned, you know, this dying every day. And it sounds so severe when we talk about it that way. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. One of my teachers used to say, you know, this is a hard sell in the United States because uh, people are very, into, you know, what they have and who they are. And, um, you know, this idea of giving it all up for oneness is uh, is a tough sell unless you are already mystically minded and, and you have a heart that can hear the truth when it's spoken. And one practice I try to engage in, Ani, is um, you talked about dying many times every day. So I, I try to practice this as best I can in my relationship, because I find my relationship is a source of challenge like no other. You know, it's a deep merging with otherness, uh, which has constant friction points and, you know, places where the self wants to control the experience. And so a practice I try to engage in is the dying to my own anxiety and pain and you know desire for control in relationship and i find it to be a very deep practice because i can go off and meditate on my own but i'm quite comfortable there so when i try to embrace the challenge of dying in relational experience i feel my friction points uh in a more practical way so that has helped me a little bit to see that even though in my individual meditation, I can feel oneness, and I can contact this this cosmic consciousness. But it doesn't always hold up when I want to recontact the world, especially when the world has these prickly barbs that that I try to protect myself from. So I, I find relational practice to be also a way that we can challenge ourselves to die, and die, and to also witness the ways in which we protect ourselves from reality as it is.
0: And that's potentially the deepest reason why we're here. Because if that universal consciousness is who we are and that's where we come from, then we're here in this life to know ourselves, to practice being with each other relationally to learning about ourselves because our partners are also our greatest spiritual teachers because they mirror back all of our fears, all of our doubts, all of our triggers, all of our insecurities, all of our anxieties. And they bring it so close to our face that it's impossible to miss. And then we have a choice. Do we want to look in the mirror And see what wants to be seen, which is why we're here in this 3D life on Earth. Or do we get rid of the mirror? Because it's reflecting back something we don't care for. That's uncomfortable, which brings us discomfort and unease. And do we engage in this game of getting rid of the mirror or trying to change the mirror? rather than changing what is in front of the mirror.
1: And this is perhaps one intersection, Ani, with the world of psychology, which is that we fog up the mirror, you know, due to, as you said, childhood experiences without really knowing it. We develop these illusions of belief and mind, but we also continue to fog up the mirror by doubling down on the limited self and continuing to seek things we can control and seek pleasure through the created world and so psychology looks at the foggy mirror and has tools and techniques for helping the mind become aware of itself and develop a sense of humor and a sense of compassion toward the defenses that we have and the ways we get in our own way and you know but ultimately psychology seeks to return people to a high-functioning self, you know, a self that is unburdened by undue or extreme anxiety, depression, you know, mental illnesses, uh, self-esteem problems, you know, relationship, lack of relationship skill, things like this. I think where spirituality and mysticism and shamanism and, and things like this come in is you know, that's just uh, a point along the way. You know, we're we're not seeking to become high-functioning selves that are unencumbered by mental illness. We're, you know, if you have a mystical heart, you're seeking to dissolve yourself um, into union with the divine. And I think there's an intersection of mysticism and psychology as it relates to observing the foggy mirror. And, you know, how we see ourselves in it. But I think spirituality takes over in many ways where psychology ends uh, because of the desire for death of the self, not just glorification of the self. And realizing that our psyche can access more peace and love and wisdom when we abolish the self than when we simply uh, sharpen it.
0: And the self, the limited self is really where this discomfort with change, this discomfort with uncertainty, this need to control comes in. So if you're listening to this, if you're watching this, and feel free to drop questions in the chat, by the way, we'll be taking questions. Um, It's a reflection of the limited self that's trying to assert control, that's trying to assert supremacy over your whole being and it's this limited self that wants that fears that's the part that's afraid because your higher self your infinite self has no fear because it's infinite it's the source of all your wisdom it's the source of all the knowing and all the being but the limited self is constrained And it's constrained by the ego identity that it's bound by. And I want to share a a little piece by Elizabeth Lesser on uncertainty. It's called Flow with the River. The nature of life is change. Your very body is a river of change. From year to year, every one of your cells is replaced. Literally, who you were yesterday is not who you are today. So when you wake up in the morning, ask yourself, am I going to flow with my river nature today? Or am I going to swim hard against it? If you go with the river of change, your heart will be full of courage and enthusiasm. If you resist the river, you will feel stressed out, aggravated and stuck in the same place. So instead of splashing around like a drowning person, stretch out on the river and relax into the grand mystery of life. And I know, John, you know a lot about how the Sufis live with a sense of mystery. And a sense of mystery and connecting to the mystery of life is the diametrical opposite of resisting uncertainty because the mystery brings with it an invitation it brings with it a sense of curiosity it brings with it a childlike sense of awe and wonder and expansion it brings with it infinite possibilities would you speak a little bit about how people can bring in more mystery and connect more to the mystery rather than resisting the uncertainty
1: I mean, this is, I'm so happy you're you're referencing this because I think this is what makes life such a tremendous opportunity and so exciting is that we can play with our consciousness and change our entire reality. You know, the life we are living is not the life we need to live over and over again each day uh, if we have the courage to uh, explore our consciousness and what it's capable of one of the things uh, I try to keep in mind when I practice is to not assume that I'm going to wake up from practice the same person uh, as I was when I went into practice. And, you know, this is in in many ways beginner's mind that we're talking about, which which is the courage to not know and to not think we know, but to listen and be humble and be curious and be in the present moment. And it's uh it's funny in some ways, you know that the, the culmination of spiritual training is the absence of knowledge and certainty. It's sort of like the resting in beginner's mind is getting comfortable with a free fall that defines the essential nature of the universe. When we seek to limit it with boundaries and concepts and definitions and sides, we are only, comforting ourselves from the anxiety of that free fall. But the mystic becomes accustomed to living in that free fall and recognizes that the opportunity there is so rich and so playful and so exciting. Each and every moment offers this opportunity for a new life and and for new parts of the self to emerge. And how could that be boring you know and even when we're sitting at home by ourselves we're still there with our minds we're still there with our consciousness we're looking out to distract ourselves with the things of the world but the most exciting journey is within you know uh, so many mystics get up in the middle of the night to meditate and and there's this saying that you know how could you go to sleep if you knew the outrageous party that is happening in the middle of the night, every single night, you know, which of course is the party in our own consciousness. If we choose to participate, if we choose to plug ourselves into to the radical change that can happen uh, when we are willing to question who we've been. And as you said, Ani, really listen to who we're becoming. So the, these realms that we've been exploring, Ani, you know, the, the self that manages, tries to manage life, the heart that experiences love, the soul that can maybe feel its core sense of purpose. In many mystical traditions, that's the runway of the individual. But where it drops us off is in the secret that our individuality may not matter much at all. That perhaps what we've been seeking all this time is to return the drop to the ocean and to merge with the essence of everything, which in many ways is at the core of our being. But we keep looking into that foggy mirror, thinking, well, maybe if I just rub off another smudge, I'll, I'll find who I am. Uh, but we understand that the death you were referencing is not just a gradual wiping away of, of fog, but it's a radical and quantum realization that we are not individuals at all. We are all of it, and therefore this limited self is very much not important uh, to us or to the larger scheme of things. And this is one way to achieve freedom is to really taste that, to really taste how it doesn't really matter um whether this or that thing happens to us or you know we think this or you know and this is where knowledge can fall away and we live more from beginner's mind beginner's mind doesn't want to know because it wants to listen and in that way it can live from the secret more than even from the soul or the heart or the self
0: That's beautiful. I want to take some questions in that have come in. Um, I'll start with Michael. He says, Hey guys, John spoke about the soul and our experience and how we can find our purpose through the experiences we were given. It is our soul that is searching for this purpose. Could you expand on this, please? I feel like I'm constantly searching but not allowing myself to accept the message.
1: I remember I, I, was, I was brought in once to a, a fairly large uh, spiritual training that was going on um, in order to correct some anxiety that, that had been moving through the room because there had been a teaching on purpose, uh, but the teaching was stressing people out to discover their unique individual purpose, And there was so much anxiety around, well, oh my gosh, you know, like, how do I find that? Where is it within me? Uh, How is that discovered? If I could only find it, maybe I could live an authentic life. And I was just feeling the stress and anxiety moving through the room around this question of purpose. And one of the things we started exploring as a group, which maybe serves as some answer uh, to the question, is that we we may have some individual qualities in our soul but ultimately life offers a singular purpose which is to discover the true nature of our being and the ineffable so we don't have to get too caught up in the specificities of individual purpose which can in some ways send us down a rabbit trail of more and more fog upon the mirror uh, to, to try to understand our individual nature. But I think what can actually release us from that question and actually deposit us in purpose is to understand that any consciousness that is alive and any created being with consciousness is seeking the same thing, which is to understand who we are at the deepest level, to experience the peace of that, the sense of home of that, and to understand God as a result of that experience. So if you can allow, was it Michael who was asking the question? If you can allow your soul to drop the individual side of this question and to listen to the universal side of purpose, then your soul goes from seeking to receiving. And in that receiving, it can taste the purpose that you carry.
0: I believe that the purpose of our life is to truly know ourselves. I think that's why we live in this illusory reality of duality where it appears that you are separate from me and I'm separate from you and I'm a distinct individual and you're a separate being and there are others. If all we are are just different waves on the same ocean, if we're just different drops of water in that same vast sea, then the only cosmic purpose is this sense of union with ourselves. And I believe that this illusion of separation exists so that we may need ourselves, because we need ourselves and each other to know ourselves. That's why sometimes the mirror goes dark when we look at ourselves. That's why so many, you know, people like you, John, exist. So that people may discover who they are using you as a reflection. So, Michael, you know, to add to what John said, what if there was a space rather than seeking, as John said, to receive? And in that receiving play... And come alive in that cosmic ecstasy and, and just use what allows you to come alive as guiding posts, as these guiding lights, that imperfect truth and perfect trust and in perfect love just guide the way home.
1: This can be understood, Ani, also by describing practice. Many people have a meditation practice or some other kind of practice. And, and to make this practical, you know, it's the difference between sitting down and doing our practice, which in some cases, you know, may, may be efforting towards a goal, and sitting and receiving by opening and trusting that the divine will give us what we are ready to receive in that moment. So sometimes the efforting gets in our own way. And if we flip our minds to receiving, sometimes we get more from the meditation. So this question of, you know, finding our authentic truth and purpose, I think is very similar to that. Sometimes we are Seeking a little bit too much and the efforting is obstructing our view. And so very much like how you described, you know, the receptivity can help us feel the purpose that's there.
0: And to bring our mutual friend Rumi into the equation, he said, what you are seeking is seeking you. And what we're really doing in life is playing this game of hide and seek, where we're trying to find our purpose but that purpose is trying to find us and all we need to do in a way is sit still and let it find us to receive it i want to bring in a question that david asked i think in in response to some of the relational elements that you shared he asked is this ideal for us to do with our spouse or partner
1: This meaning the the practice of dying?
0: The practice of... uh, I'll let David actually elaborate on his question because it was a little further back and let's move to a question from Lee. She says, I would love to hear more about the practices that have worked for either view around disidentifying with the limited self and connecting back to the infinite self.
1: Please, brother, share.
0: For me, this is um, a great entry point for me is the word resistance. Because all resistance, all the suffering comes from resistance. Because suffering is a self-created experience because of a denial, avoidance, disowning, othering, suppressing, repressing, making wrong of some part of ourselves or some part of our experience, some part of our awareness. And wherever there is suffering, it leads me to the question of, well, where is the resistance that's creating the suffering? And the suffering is evident in our in our life. It, we see it in our bank accounts. We see it in our relationships. We see it in our bodies. We see it in... Our businesses we see it in our friendships in every part we can work backwards and we can see from the suffering that is being created where is the resistance that's being offered and all resistance i believe comes from the ego from the limited self because that has an idea of how things should be and when things are not in line with how it thinks things should be then it creates resistance And what I find is dissolving the resistance to any thought, any feeling, any sensation, any, you know, experience usually leaves me almost in this vast, open, expansive state of awake awareness where I'm just present without any force being you know exerted on any in any direction in any way and to me in that state my consciousness feels much more vast it feels global rather than local the possibilities that i can see are far greater than what i could see before when i was in resistance and creating suffering my body feels more loose and less contracted Um, there's less stress in my body and my nervous system doesn't feel charged. Um, And I, you know, it just feels like a restoration of who I am in my essence. How would you uh, answer that, John?
1: Well, I I love the color you're giving us uh, in terms of how your daily practice feels internally for you. And the word that comes to mind from what you were describing is surrender, that you you seem to have a daily practice of surrendering to the friction points that show up in your life. And I think that's a very valuable practice because it's happening all the time. You know, it's it's not just the one we sit down and do for a half hour a day or something, it's, um, it's ongoing. And in that sense, you're living your practice and I had a very wise teacher explain to me once that, you know, practice is called practice for a reason. And the reason why we're practicing is to live what we're practicing. And, and so I feel like what you're describing extends any formal practice into daily living, uh, which I think is, is, is a way to deepen it and accelerate it. Uh, for me, what comes to mind, you know, if people are seeking a valuable practice to move from the limited self to the unlimited self, um, you know, I, I try to be humble in this regard because I believe that traditions that have been crafted over thousands and thousands of years have the wisdom to teach us which practices are effective And for many years, I felt like I was a new ager at the buffet table of spiritual teachings. And what started to deepen things for me was when I I humbled myself and became more curious to learn from traditions that have been polishing this science of development for a very, very long time. And the way it happened for me was I started to run into teachers I really wanted to learn from. You know, I remember running into a group of Mayan healers, and I was really thirsty to learn some Mayan healing techniques. And I had a conversation with them, and they said, well, they said, we would be willing to teach you, but you would have to move to our land, and you would have to spend years learning the language, and you would have to understand the culture, because our way cannot be learned from a conversation or a two-week conference or something like that. And I I started to get that message from other systems and teachers I really wanted to learn from was that it was going to take a certain commitment um, to, to a path to really mine the wisdom embedded in the path. So what happened for me was that in listening to these uh, ancient and more traditional schools, I started to learn that. Practice is essential, you know, like choosing a practice is is a very holy and sacred endeavor, because what you choose will become your vehicle for transformation. I think there are many, many valid and effective schools of spirituality across the world. Um, you can find great teachers in many places, you can find great traditions and schools in many places. So I don't think the language or the culture or the religious tradition or anything like that really makes the difference. However, I think ancient teachings do have some guidance about practice in general. Uh, And I think that guidance has to do with making sure that practice has enough structure and focus to help the self uh, dissolve. In other words, practice is not just sitting and reflecting. Uh, practice needs to assist us in transforming what's hard for us to do, which is to let go of the self. Um, So with, with my own personal practice, what has been very helpful for me is a Sufi practice known as remembrance, which is a mantra chanting practice that can be done internally or externally. Uh, What it helps me do is it helps me quiet my mind. When I practice more abstract meditation, my mind is more active. But when I chant, and sometimes there's even a movement that goes along with the chant, my mind becomes quieter and it, it's easier for me to feel the parts of me that exist outside the self. But I think if you're, discover- if you're looking for a practice of your own, I think there's many places you can look, You know, many rich traditions, that will teach you either a breath-oriented meditation, or a or a mantra style practice, or a somatic style meditation, you know, or a dancing type of practice, or a singing type of practice. And I think, as long as it's guided by a school that understands the important components of practice, then it's going to be effective. Um, the thing that I worry about is. Spinning our wheels, doing things that don't have the most impact, and that's why I I look to very ancient traditions because they have this polished wisdom about what works.
0: Here's another question for you, John, from Lee. Given what you just mentioned around waking up in the middle of the night to meditate and party, can you speak more to the potential spiritual implications or causes? for waking up in the middle of the night and not being able to sleep?
1: If you have trouble sleeping at night, meditation is a great use of that time. Um, you know, if if we sit around awake, feeling annoyed that we're not sleeping, um, that is a w- in a way resisting um, the experience we're being given. Uh, if you're awake at night, you might as well meditate and practice and and put the time to good use because Monks all over the world are waking up on purpose to to meditate during that time. It's a very holy time. There's nothing happening. You can feel the quietness and the stillness of the earth. And so in that darkness and in that stillness with nothing else to do really, because the world around you is asleep, you can go very deep into your practice and explore realms that are more difficult to explore during the day. But a meditation practice is good for people that have insomnia. Um, but if she's waking up to meditate and not being able to fall back to sleep, I think that's also okay. You know, I mean, most traditions around the world value practice more than sleep uh, because your consciousness uh, is, is active and you're able to use it to deepen your sense of reality and of yourself when you're sleeping you know, your consciousness is doing what it's doing. I mean, in advanced levels of practice, it's still meditating in sleep, but in beginner and intermediate stages, you're sort of like offline when you're sleeping. So if you're uh, not going back to sleep, just practice longer. Um,
0: Yeah. Here's a question from Elena. I feel like I'm split between servicing and trying to connect with myself at this time. I want to do both, but it's getting overwhelming at times. Servicing my kids while they're at home 24 seven, giving support to my other family, serving my patients and people I work with, and at the same time, trying to give up control and surrender to the unknown. Any words of advice to help giving up control? Thank you.
1: So this is the difference between, and I'm curious to hear your answer, Ani. but what comes to mind right away for me is this is the difference between a psychological approach and a spiritual approach because psychology in a case like this would in some ways prioritize the self and say, okay, how do we help the self get what it needs, set boundaries, have alone time, create a schedule, self care, but, spiritual ideas are a little bit more radical in in terms of the growth that they can create. So I think she can maybe do a little bit of soul searching around, does she want a psychological solution which protects the self, feeds the self, helps the self feel better, and gives the self more of what it's thirsty for, which is maybe like downtime and you know, relaxation and introspection time. So that is certainly one approach to this. And that would be the psychological approach. But what's fun to play with, is the possibility of indulging a mystical approach to that. And and on that side of things, I would say that the self is giving. But to perceive that you have to be ready to let go of yourself. So If your self self is still seeking for itself, it's not going to be ready to find its nature in the giving. In other words, it needs a little bit in order to make that decision to let go. And that's very appropriate because none of us lets go of ourself until the self is ready. You know, until the self has played with the world long enough to say, okay, I'm not sure that's the ultimate solution for me. What else is there? And it's, it's willingly ready to give up what it would normally want for itself. I think when you reach that point, you can discover your real self in giving. There is no self anyways. This is an illusion. And so if you think about it, you can discover the reality of, of who you are in the giving. You can discover the reality of who you are in the service, in the relationships with other people. But in order to appreciate that, you have to be done with the self. Otherwise, the self legitimately has a claim on you, and it's going to want things that it deserves. That's the world of the self. So I would indulge it a little bit if that feels right. And also be exploring for when you feel ready to let go of this idea that there is a self and that it needs a bunch of things and see if you can discover who you are in the giving.
0: This reminds me of the this, the Sufi tradition of, uh, you know, the dervishes when they're starting out, they spend a lot of time in the kitchen. And... They spend a long time there before they can move ahead in their teaching, in their learning. And this is this idea that our fundamental starting point is from a point of service. And in being of service is where we learn the truth of who we are. Because that's when we practice being selfless, being without self and this goes back to what we were saying earlier. We, we have to move past our limited sense of self to discover and connect with our true self. And that's the path of selflessness. Please keep the questions coming as, uh, as they come up for you guys. Let's talk about love, John. <laughs> I want to share a, a little quote from Rilke on love perhaps all the dragons we have in our lives are princesses who are only waiting to see us act just once with beauty and courage perhaps everything that frightens us is in its deepest essence something helpless that wants our love
1: I mean, this is the the kiss from the divine, you know, if we understand that what we struggle with is God sending us little love notes and asking us in real time, are we going to reciprocate uh, by being soft and humble or are we going to reject by attaching to our self-based notions? Uh, the things that come hunting us are, are the kisses from our Lord, uh, seeking to soften us up before our time has come. And that is the only way to live if you want to reach some kind of unity consciousness before, you know, the time is over uh, with, with this waking consciousness is, you know, time is short. Which is why, you know, this crisis, I think, has connected many of us to how we want to use our time. Um, but you know, one way is to to realize this poem that that Ani just shared, um, to understand that everything that hunts us down is a kiss that is exquisitely designed just for us, and could not be tailor made any better because it's shaped by the divine who made us. And so going back to the beginning of, of the meditation you, you gave us Ani at the beginning, the saying yes to life and not being so arrogant as to say no, but to say yes. And then to find the beauty and the love within that. Uh, That's what it, it brings up for me is this notion of being kissed and our creator being the loving partner.
0: Mm here's some more inspiration from our friend Mark Nepo he says to love like water only love with no thought of return can soften the point of suffering water in its clear softness fills whatever hole it finds it's not skeptical or distrusting it does not say that this gully is too deep or that field is too open Like water, the miracle of love is that it covers whatever it touches, making the touched thing grow while leaving no trace of its touch, just like a kiss. True, the faces of shores and the arms of cliffs are worn to bone, but this is beyond the water's doing. This is the progress of life of which water is but an element. Most things break instead of transform because they resist. The quiet miracle of love is that without our interference, it, like water, accepts whatever is tossed or dropped or placed into it, embracing it completely. Of course, we are human and easily hurt if not loved back or if loved poorly. But we waste so much of life's energy by deliberating who and what shall be worthy of our love. When in the deepest elemental sense, these are choices that are not in our province, any more than rain can choose what it shall fall upon. Certainly, we need to make decisions. Who will I spend time with? Who will I learn from? Who will I live with? Who will I marry? But beneath all that, the element of love doesn't stop being elemental, it doesn't stop covering everything before it. And over a lifetime, the pain of withholding this great and quiet force is more damaging than the pain of being rejected or loved poorly for love. Like water can be damned, but towards what end in truth? The more we let love flow through, the more we have to love. This is the inner glow that sages and saints of all ages seem to share the wash of their love over everything before them, not just people, but the birds and rocks and flowers and air beneath the many choices we have to make love like water flows back into the world through us it is the one great secret available to us all yet somewhere the misperception has been enshrined that to withhold love will stop hurt in truth it is the other way around as water soaks scars love soothes our wounds if open to love will accept the angrily thrown stone and our small tears will lose some of their burn in the great ocean of tears and the arrow released to the bottom of the river will lose its point
1: So the things we've talked about, Ani, the levels of our being that we can identify with and live from the opportunity to die to our experience and say yes to exactly how things are, to monitor our resistance. And the love affair that we can have with contacting that reality rather than defending against it. And ultimately the joy and the ecstasy that can come from falling in love with that process and losing ourselves and being able to overflow that love onto the people around us. So if this time of crisis in our world lends itself a little bit more to people discovering this part of themselves, to sharing it with their family members and their community, um, then we will, we will have gained something, you know, and everyone listening or, or watching today has the same opportunity to engage in this type of practice daily, uh, by ourselves and in relationship and really mind the opportunity that we've been given to expand our consciousness and discover the limitless self, uh, before our number is called. And I just want to say, I really appreciate you holding space uh, for all of us today to tap into that more.
0: It's a pleasure. And uh, I want to share one more little passage in closing, and please feel free to type in your questions if there's any that come up or any thoughts that you'd like to share, those who are still with us. A gift to bring you how hard I've looked for a gift to bring you. What's the point of bringing gold to the gold mine or water to the ocean? I cannot give you my heart and my soul because you already have these. So now I have brought you a mirror that you may look at yourself and remember me. Thank you. For all those who joined, thank you for taking a pause from your lives and being here with us in this conversation. It's been really delightful. A real soaking, a really deep drowning in that substance that we're all made of. And John, thank you so much for your presence, your words, for your wisdom, for your kindness. Yeah,
1: Yeah, it's just such a pleasure to share time with you, Ani. And I hope that everyone that was present or that listens uh, after, if there's a recording of this, will let us know if they appreciate uh, the conversation that we offered today um so that we know how to really best serve the the community of people wanting to go deeper right now
0: shannon says this is exactly what i've been looking for as a version of what others may gain from a sunday church service this wisdom is very in line with my belief system would you be open to hosting these on a regular basis
1: exactly so so if anyone else feels that way we'd love to hear from you and And know if we can be useful in some way.
0: John, do you want to share how people can find you?
1: Uh, Sure. people can find me on Facebook. Um, I'm not too hard to find. Uh, I I have a personal Facebook page. You can send me a message. Uh, One of our companies, Ready, Set, Love, is also on Facebook. We do a lot of relationship education. Uh, And we have a new wellness center called Presence Wellness to help people become more present in their lives, physically, mentally, emotionally. Uh, so you can message me through that website as well if you like.
0: And you also help people find love.
1: Yes, yes. We have a new singles club, which is exciting. And it's for people that are into personal growth. So people that are seeking you know, responsible and sincere unions with others uh, to deepen love in, in some of the ways we described today
0: beautiful thank you so much for everything you do yeah
1: thank you for the opportunity to do sohbet with you
0: it's such a pleasure guys thank you so much for being here it was an absolute delight please contact us if this was helpful if this was useful and we're happy to keep these going take care and all our love (laughs) Bye bye. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you found value, please consider leaving a five star review to allow the show to reach more people or share this episode via your social media channels. If you're an entrepreneur and want support in exponentially scaling your business, email me at anianimanian.com. At